0: are are bent in such a generous direction in Christ's name. Amen. Also, as the ushers come, I'll have Grace Voth come forward. Um, Or as the ushers always come and gone already? Oh, see, I'm lost. Uh, You're good, but I think think Brent got him all flustered with the email thing, so the offering already happened, so we could do it again maybe, but um, Grace, come on up.
1: Where are you? (laughs) Grace?
2: Ephesians 5, 11-17. Because we understand our fearful responsibility to the Lord, we work hard to persuade others. But God knows we are unsincere, sincere, and I hope you know this too. We are commending ourselves to you again. No, we are giving you a reason to be proud of us, so you can answer those who brag about having a spectacular ministry rather than having a sincere heart. If it seems we are crazy, it is to bring it is to bring glory to God. And if we are in our right minds, it is for your benefit. Either way, Christ's love controls us. Since, since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our old life. He died for everyone, so that those who receive His new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ, who died who died and was raised for them. So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time we thought of Christ merely as of a human point of view. How differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. The new life has begun.
3: right, thank you, Grace, and uh, I think uh, this morning uh, you know that we're going to be studying, uh, she read 2 Corinthians chapter 5, so if you haven't had a chance to open up your Bibles, open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 18 through 21 is our text for this morning. Uh, If you need a Bible, uh, come find me. There's some left, some people have left uh, in the Lost and Found. We can get you one, um, and uh, we will make sure... That We each have a Bible to study on our own at home, but it's good to be in this place It was already mentioned Brent mentioned that when he said, you know as we were singing uh, uh, God is good and it's good to be here and it's good to to gather together as the church Um, What we're doing is we're uniting our hearts around God's love his grace his mercy and we're engaging our minds We're focusing our minds on on Doctrine on sound doctrine, which is in cor- which which is in accordance with Scripture, not uh, the silly myths of the world around us, uh, the empty and hollow things that. But we gather together as the church to to do these things and to lift our voices and sing out praises to our King. We've been doing that all morning, and now we come to the the uh, climax or to the. Um, the pinnacle of our morning, which is the proclamation of God's word. Uh, and no, it's not, this, it's not because I'm preaching this morning that, that it's the pinnacle, uh, but it's because God is about to speak. Do you think like that? That when God's word is opened up, that he is actually speaking to us, this word is living and active and it's, br- and it's breathing life into us? As we get started this morning, uh, let's just pause for a moment. What I want you guys to do, a little exercise, I want you to put your hand over your heart. We're not going to say the Pledge of Allegiance. Okay? I want you guys to take a deep breath. Let it out. Okay? Take another deep breath. Let it out. Is your heart beating? Yes. Are you alive? Air is going um, in your lungs. They're being filled up. Blood is pumping through your veins. Church, we are alive. We're not dead. We're not dead physically. And to those of us who trust and believe in Jesus Christ, we are not dead spiritually any longer. Some of us have come here this morning, and um, just because there's uh, our heart's beating and there is lungs uh, there's air filling our lungs doesn't mean that we're without pain doesn't mean that we're without uh, ph- uh, physical or emotional spiritual social pain there's some deep-seated things that are going on but don't skip past the fact that we are alive that we are breathing and that is in itself a blessing you know, as we think about the, proje- the things that have been going on in the world around us and, and just drilling water wells, water is a blessing from the Lord. But we have something so much deeper and so much richer, as was mentioned on the video, than just physical water or physical breath. We have life by this very word that we're about to open up. This word has brought us life. And so we're going to study it with that kind of intensity, with that kind of understanding that God is about to speak. And so let those of us who have ears hear what God is about to say to us this morning. If you haven't already, uh, open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians. We'll be studying this passage. Um, as we get into this, let me give you a little context. Let me remind you of the the city of Corinth where Paul was this, he went there on his second missionary journey, and he went to this city that was, that was prosperous and large. It was a large commercial city, uh, one of the leading cities in Greece at the time. It was marked by wealth and, div- and diversity and immorality. Um, Paul stayed there for about two years, working as a tent maker. And he shared the gospel with those that he met, and the church was planted and Paul, this letter that we're getting here, the Second Corinthians letter, is actually the fourth letter that Paul has written to this troubled church. This is one of the most troubled churches that Paul deals with. And in this letter, we see his heart um, for, 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 why, for dealing with this, this congregation that he loves. So turning our attention to our passage, starting in verse 18, inspired by the Holy Spirit, Paul writes, All this is from God, who through Christ, For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you uh, for this text. We thank you for the opportunity that we have to gather together to open your word. Lord, I pray that you would just um, speak through me, that you would actually uh, make me transparent, that all we hear and all we see today is You. Lord, help us to focus and engage our hearts and our minds around Your Word and the message that You have for us today and our responsibility in, with what You've entrusted us to. Teach us, pour Your Spirit out on us, encourage us and strengthen us for this ministry of reconciliation that You have called each of us to. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we look, we begin in verse 18, and verse 18 really lines out for us the uh, the outline for this morning. We, you have notes in your bulletin that have the outline, but this is kind of what, it, verse 18, look at it with me, it says, all this is from God, who through, Christ, um, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So you've got really just two points here um, in our sermon this morning, you've got um, our um, God who through Christ reconciled us to himself. And then you got um, the phrase, gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So we've got our reconciliation, which in your notes I put my, because I wanted you to feel that this was a personal thing. My reconciliation, and then also my ministry of reconciliation. So both of these, Paul is pointing out that this is what he has. He's given us reconciliation. Um, God has made reconciliation possible, and now he's entrusted us with this gift. And I couldn't think of a better message and a, uh, to talk and to wrap up our Mission Sunday. Our summer mission for this last month, we've been talking about missions. Tonight, we'll talk about it more. But it's not just this Sunday that is a Mission Sunday. Every Sunday is a Mission Sunday. Every Sunday we gather together, the saints gather together to be um, inspired, to be um, encouraged. Some of us are weak and we need to be strengthened. And so we gather together so that we can go out on mission. We're not to stop here, but we walk through these doors and we leave out and we go to our jobs, whether it's tent making or whether it's working in an office, whatever it might be, working in the hospital, working on a construction site, we are to be proclaiming this message that has been entrusted to us. And before we can understand and before we can proclaim a message, we have to understand what the message is. We have to intently sit down before the sender, God, and we've got to say, what is the message that you want? Give me the details so that we don't speak with our own opinion, but we speak with what God has said and what God's Um, is trying to teach us. And so we're going to spend the bulk of our time this morning talking about my reconciliation or your reconciliation. The phrase in verse 18 that says, God who through Christ reconciled us to himself. What is reconciliation? What does that mean? How did God reconcile us to himself? The first little bit in verse 18, all this is from God, points directly back to verse 17. And Grace read that for us a little bit earlier what is this all this this phrase um, preceding this passage um, Paul has just been talking about not looking at people any longer with this idea that they're just dust that they're that they're here in the flesh and then they're gone he's starting to say I'm starting to view people a little bit differently and when you see people I wonder uh, the first time, um, the only time first time but when I went to new york city one of the things You know a lot of times you can do this when you're walking around you can look with your head down It doesn't have to be new york city it could be anywhere it could be here in this church But you look with your head down But when you stop and look at people and that's one of the things I encouraged the youth when we went to nicaragua Is to really look at them and not just what they're wearing but look into their eyes look at their face They are a spiritual being there. There are lost people. There are saved people and so, Paul is saying, I'm not viewing people the way I used to. Matter of fact, he says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. They have been transformed. That transformation takes place at their conversion. When they put their faith and trust in Jesus, when they acknowledge that they are a sinner, when they acknowledge, and they, uh, I like, I think Jay used this phrase one time, when they agree with God, about their state, about who they are. When you agree with God and the fact that, that you are that sinful, that you have rebelled against Him, that you um, have hated His laws, when you agree with that and then you know that you need a Savior and you put your trust in Him, then you are converted and you are transformed, which is what Paul is talking about here in this passage. And, and all this is meaning that it is from God. Total transformation is from God. God is the initiator. He transforms us from the inside out. John MacArthur writes, Sinners cannot be reconciled to God on their own terms. Unregenerate people have no ability to appease God's anger against sin, satisfy His holy justice, or conform to His standard of righteousness. They are guilty of fatally violating God's law and face eternal banishment from His presence. But God alone has designed the way of reconciliation. And only He can initiate the reconciliation of sinners. Ephesians 2.8, one of the verses that we love to quote in the church, makes this clear. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is what? Gift of God. Not of your own doing, but this is a gift of God. Exactly. It's not as a result of works so that no one can boast. It is a gift of God. It is initiated by God. It is not of your own doing. The basic premise of every false religion is that that Satan gives this lie, this false religion, is based on moral and religious effort and achievements. Every religion, think about it. It's what can I do for God? How can I build up my spiritual resume? How can I um, perform better so that he will like me more? So that I can appease him, so that I can have peace with him. Okay, that, That's the basic premise. And, and we think that that's just outside the church, but I, I think sometimes in the church we feel that same way. Sometimes in the church, there are those of us, and I am one of them, that has has thought through this. That man, I just need to go to church. I need to behave better. God, if I could just stop lusting, then then you would like me better. And it's not true. He likes me enough that he sent his son to the cross. He loves me enough that he did that. And so, it's not by my effort. It's not by anything that I do. But God initiates. Have you? ever seen those um, those games that used to be played I don't even know I'm probably too young to remember these maybe not uh, but those the vibrating games they have the football players you know and you've got you got different guys on each side and they're connected magnetically or whatever it is and they the vibrate you turn the board on and it starts vibrating it shakes and the players need to go towards the winners would go to that goal anybody remember those I got a few head nods people kind of remember those but they they never went where you wanted them to go, am I right? They would always when they started vibrating, they'd always start vibrating off. It kind of sounds like all of us are like sheep and have gone astray. No one is going towards the goal, towards the prize where we're supposed to go, supposed to go, but unless God or unless the player in this instance reaches down physically and turns a heart towards him, they're not going to come towards him. God is the initiator. Scripture always portrays God as the one eagerly reaching out to those who have rebelled against him, not us reaching out to him. Matter of fact, it portrays us differently, and we'll see that as we talk about Jonah in August, but running away from God. In Genesis 3, 8 and 9, God said to Adam, after he had sinned and he was naked and he and Eve were hiding, he said, where are you? And ever since then, God has been actively seeking those that are hidden and those that are ashamed and those that are in sin. He is actively seeking and saving the lost. To, to, to hammer home this point of God being the initiator, listen to Ezekiel 36, 25-27, and, and how many times I is used, talking about God, the personal pronoun here. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses. And from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove your heart of stone and um, from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. And then in John 6, 44, Again, Jesus says the same thing. He says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. God is the initiator. It is all through God. He is the one that wants reconciliation. If it was left up to sinful people, we wouldn't want to be at peace with God. We wouldn't want reconciliation. Okay, This is God freely and apart from outside influence determined from, all, from the foundation of the world that he wanted to bring back his creation, that he wanted to right what was wrong. He wanted to reconcile sinners. He himself is the willing reconciler, not us. Make sure we get that this morning. Meditate on that. It's not us that wanted reconciliation. God is the one who sought reconciliation between us. Mankind is hostile to God. The Bible portrays us and says that we are enemies of God. But God so loved the world that he made a way of reconciliation. This is the heart of the gospel. This is the good news of the gospel. This is the message that we are to proclaim, that that there is a God who wants you to be in close relationship with him. The next thing we see as we look at verse 18... All this is from God, God is the initiator, through Christ. And this is actually paralleled in verse 19. So 18 and 19 are saying basically the same thing, just in a little different words. The phrase through Christ and in Christ is, is, is telling us that Christ is the means of reconciliation. It's not by anything outside. You can't come and have peace with God in any other way other than Jesus Christ. He is the means. I was reading one commentary and they were talking about um, that, that Christ is the agent of reconciliation. He is the one that brings about reconciliation and the agency operates. How, do they, how does this reconciliation happen? The agency, God operates by the union between the Savior and the sinner. Between our Savior and the one who would believe. That's how reconciliation is possible. That's how peace with God is possible. It's between the union. That's why it says, in Christ. Paul is uses this phrase over and over, and I think sometimes we throw it around and we just don't quite get what, what he's saying. In Christ. I sometimes sign letters or something. In Christ. What's that saying? That's saying through Christ, and because of union with him, we can have peace with God. I um, recently read an article um, announcing that the Pope Francis would be offering plenary uh, indulgences for those uh, that followed him on Twitter. And um, we, we laugh at that, and sometimes we, not laugh, but we think, man, that's sad. You guys don't know what uh, indulgences are. This is what Martin Luther nailed. This was his big beef. Ninety-five of them, actually, that he put on the 90, that he put on the door in Wittenberg. He said, "This is wrong. That anybody can uh, that make peace with God other than Christ." And so, what what the what the Pope and the Catholic Church maybe is saying is that if you um, if you follow me on Twitter or if you come through me. Then you can have peace with god and that's just not true But that's not so far-fetched. Um, we might not believe that but we also but I already said we believe Maybe by our works we can be close to god Not just the catholic church That's 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 epidemic in in our church and evangelical churches everywhere Where by our performance by how good we act how often we go to church uh, one of the things we're in Nicaragua, um, they're a highly into Catholicism, and it's a little different, maybe, than the Catholicism that we see here. Maybe not, but they say um, there's some idol worship. But one of the guys that they met said, um, "You know what I like? Be- why I like being Catholic is because I can, I can, uh, I can go to mass, or I can go to confession, and then right after that, I can go have, uh, uh, I can go get drunk." and then have several different women, and then the next day confess and come back. There's no peace with God. That's not peaceful. You have to do it over and over. And so coming to God um, is only through Christ. That is, the, that is the heart of the gospel. That, again, is, is the message of good news, that God wants to reconcile us to himself. But God, being so rich in mercy, has graciously and sacrificially through his Son reconciled us to himself this word um, we're finally getting to this this word reconcile or reconciliation uh, is is words that you'll only find in Paul's writing okay Paul writes that in the New Testament uh, and this word literally means to change or to exchange okay to change from enemies to friendship and if if you're here this morning and you're walking around just, Uh, thinking that you and you don't trust in Christ and you think that that you're not at odds with God or that you're not enemies like you know you're singing the the Doobie Brothers song Jesus is just all right with me you know it's not true okay you are are hostile between there's there's this gap this separation this great divide and it's caused by sin and so God wants to make this right. He doesn't like that he can't have fellowship with his creation. Romans five nine through eleven says it this way: Since therefore we have been justified, meaning standing before God just as if I'd never sinned, by the blood, by His blood, by Christ's blood, much more shall we be saved from Him from the wrath. How um, much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God? For if while we were enemies were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by His life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have now received reconciliation. It is through Christ, only by union with Christ, a fellowship, a relationship, trust and believing in Him that we can have peace with God, that we can be Reconciled, and one point that I want to make sure that we we don't that we don't that we make sure that we understand correctly is that hatred alone is on our part. A lot of times when we think of reconciliation, um, or you think about your wife, uh, husband, and wife. Okay, a lot of times if there's if there's conflict going on in your family, it's it's both sides are well, you did this and you did that. Okay, and so there needs to be reconciliation, but with God. It is all on us. God never hated us. Okay, We need to understand, and this is important, it is not God who needs to be reconciled. It's us that needs to be reconciled. It's not God that needs reconciliation. It is us. We need to be brought near to Him. He is a just God, which means His wrath must be poured out on sin. He can't, um, allow sin to go unpunished. Otherwise, He wouldn't be just. Okay? And so we are sinful to our core, but He is also merciful, and He desires that all men be at peace with Him. So He is patiently waiting. And being in Christ makes that res- reconciliation possible. Now, I just want to talk a little bit about the the phrase, the world. In verse uh, nineteen, verse 18, it says this. It says, Reconciled us to Himself, and then in verse nineteen, kind of the same language, it says that in that is in Christ or union with Christ, God, the Initiator, was reconciling the world to Himself. So, what does it mean when it says the world? Um, that's that's the question. Um, the, there is a false doctrine out there that teaches that that all men will be saved. This is called universalism. Universalists argue. Um, that the barrier between God and man, the barrier that separates God and man has been removed, and so therefore um, everyone will be saved, or the barrier has been removed for everyone, and all will be saved. Uh, we know that that's that. We know that people go to hell. The Scripture tells us that Jesus warns over and over. Okay, and he says to the thief on the cross, "Today you will be with me in paradise." And so we knew he, we know he was in paradise with the Lord. So we know there's a heaven. We, we believe that there's a hell and that those who don't trust and believe in Jesus will go there. And the question that, that comes to mind when we think about this, when we see uh, the question that arises that is if Christ paid the penalty for everyone's sins, how could God sentence people to hell for sins that Christ already paid for on the cross? And if He didn't, Pay for all those sins, or if he uh, did not pay for the sins of those who are eternally lost, then in what sense was God saying in Christ He will reconcile the world to Himself? I think by um, by looking at this context, the the best way, and I believe the correct correct way to understand this universal language that Paul is using, we see in Scripture: "For God so loved the world and." Also, um, where it says he, he wishes all men to come to know him and everyone. When we see that language, what is Paul getting at? What is the Bible trying to communicate? Um, I think this is referring to the type of person, meaning not just, um, not just Jews, but also Gentiles. Okay? God is seeking reconciliation, uh, and he wants people from every tribe, every nation, race, language, upbringing, political party, ethnic group, social class, and shoe size. He wants everybody to come to salvation. We know that everybody won't, but he wants everybody to come. And so when the Bible talks about this, he's talking about this language of, of wanting, uh, wanting every type of person, every people group, every tongue, every nation and before we get to our second point, and we're ta- we've been talking about reconciliation, my reconciliation, your reconciliation, those of us who have been redeemed, the, w- the reason why, the how, the, it's through Christ that we've been reconciled to God. But before we get to the second point, which is our message of reconciliation, um, we're going to look at verse 21, which is one of the most fantastic verses in all of Scripture because it lays out um, the how it's possible to have peace with God. It answers questions like, how can an absolutely and infinite holy God be reconciled to sinners? How can His just and His holy law, which demands condemnation and punishment of all who violate it, be satisfied? How can those who deserve no mercy receive it? How can God uphold true righteousness and also give peace? How can the demands of both justice and love be met? And in this one sentence, it discloses the full meaning of, the, um, of this word reconciliation and reveals the essence of atonement. This is the heart of the gospel message. Let's read it together. It's on the screen. Let's read it aloud. Starting uh, verse 21 here. For our sake... He made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The first phrase there, let's just break this apart. Um, He made, okay, it's for our sake. He made, meaning that God is the initiator. He initiated and he applied it. Sinners cannot devise their own plan on how to have peace with God okay they cannot make their own approach to god second phrase there he made him to be sin who knew no sin this clearly points to the only possible sacrifice for sin in the old testament they sacrificed bulls and goats all the time and then in hebrews the writer of hebrews says uh, it was never intended for the blood of bulls and goats to save there's only one sacrifice It eliminates every human who ever lived because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The only one that knew no sin was Jesus Christ, the perfect sacrifice for sin, the Lamb of God. John MacArthur writes it this way. He says, the sacrifice for sin would have to be human being, for only a man could die for other men. Yet he would ha- also have to be God, for only God is sinless. And that narrows the field to only one, the God-man, Jesus Christ. This is why Jesus had to go to the cross, because he was the only one that was perfectly, 100% man and 100% God. He is the only one that was, with, was without sin. And this verse tells us it was they had to be without sin, So he made him um, to be sin who knew no sin. Think about this phrase, to be sin. It's very important for us to understand this this morning, this phrase. It does not mean that Christ became a sinner. It doesn't mean that, that he was punished for any of his own sins. When it says that he became a sinner, or when he became... Uh, when he became sin or to be sin, it doesn't mean that, um, that he committed those sins and that he was uh, being held accountable for them. What this is talking about uh, is, that, is that the Father treated him as if the sins were his own. Remember how Pilate said, surely this man is innocent. And the Romans said, surely, surely this man was innocent. They knew he was innocent, and yet they punished him. And so God, too, knows that His Son is sinless and innocent, and yet puts the full weight of all of our sins, everyone who would believe in Him, on His shoulders. And this is what it means that He became sin, or to be sin. It was charged to His account instead of, instead of ours. All those sins were charged against Him as if He had personally committed them. But He was sinless. Isaiah 53, 4-6 through six tells us this, Surely He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed Him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But He was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace, that made reconciliation. And with His stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned. All of us, every one of us, to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The last phrase. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the great exchange that we see in Scripture. Um, The substitutionary atonement. That That Jesus became sin, even though he was sinless, he became sin for us, so He was perfect and holy and good, and he was, and he, he was, all of the, our sin was charged to His account, and what was given to us was righteousness of God. We are now covered by His righteousness. So when God looks at us, He sees His Son's righteousness. He sees the perfection. He sees the, the holiness in His Son to those who would believe, those who are united in Christ. Romans three twenty-two says it this way the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. The righteousness of God. I show the youth this sometimes uh, when we talk about this, but if I had a sports coat on, you know, I take this off and I cover you with it. It's like Christ's love has been our Christ's righteousness has been Poured over us, that we are now covered with it, so God can no longer see us. That's the substitution. He became sin, and we were the sinners. Okay? He was righteous, and now we are righteous through Him. That's the message of reconciliation. Do you believe it? Is the message applied to you? Are you at peace with God this morning? He says, Paul says in verse 20 here at the end, we implore you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. If you're not reconciled to God, I beg you to be reconciled to God. Be made right with God by the blood of his Son, the sacrifice that was given. Now, our ministry, he gives us the ministry of reconciliation. We can't share the message unless we know the content. And so he has given us this message of reconciliation and I like how look at all the different phrases that it uses in verse 18, 19 and even 20. It says he gave us, he entrusted to us and made us ambassadors in order to make his appeal. I love that. He made us ambassadors in order to make his appeal. And that's not just talking, Paul's talking about he and Timothy and the missionaries, but it's also us. To everyone who has been redeemed, to everyone who has been brought near to God, who's no longer enemies that are reconciled to God, it is our ministry. It is the word there in in verse, um, verse 19, it says... Uh, entrusted to us the message of reconciliation that's the same word logos that's the same word as used in the the word became flesh it's an important word it's an important message and to use the language of entrusting it to us it's valuable have you ever been entrusted with something very valuable okay i took students uh, emily and i t- we took some students to Nicaragua and their parents entrusted them to our care. That's nothing compared to this. This message of reconciliation that God has said, I have reconciled you so that you can reconcile. So that you can beg people on behalf of Christ to be made right with God. Ambassador, this word um, is purposely chosen and it appoints to a spokesperson that represents the king. Ambassadors must speak only the words that God has revealed. We must not utter our own opinions, um, that conflict with God's message. We are not the messengers, we are the senders. Uh, Sorry, we are the messengers, not the senders. God is the sender of the message. And so, the reason I had us put our hands over our hearts this morning and take deep breaths, everybody do it again, Make sure, make sure you're awake. You're alive. And if you've been reconciled, you've been entrusted with this message. You know the message. And as we leave here, our goal and, and the purpose of the church um, is evangelism and missions. Okay, our, our discipleship and missions. We want, to, we want to, to equip the saints so that when they leave this place, they can share the message of re- reconciliation how to have peace with God. And so that's what we've been tasked with. I hope you feel the weightiness that God has entrusted this to you. Okay, go read Matthew 25 about the parable of the talents and see how it talks about what what the, the owner has been given. It's talking about physical talents like gifts and abilities and treasures. But think about this message that he's entrusted to us and how we're supposed to be on mission and share that with the world around us. Let's pray. Father, I thank you uh, for this opportunity that we have to gather together. Lord, I thank you for your word. Uh, Even uh, the preparation and the time that I put into studying this word and to uh, proclaiming it, God, it's still uh, heavy. Help me to meditate on it. Help us in this this room to really uh, think through what it is exactly you've done for us through your son. How we were enemies and how we've been brought near to you. We were once haters of you. Aliens. But now we are no longer strangers and haters, but we are called friends that we are sons and daughters, that we are brought into fellowship with you. You have made it right, God, not us. We put our trust, we put our hope again this morning in Jesus Christ. God, if there's someone here this morning who's never done that, who's never put their hope and their trust in him, I pray that you would, by your spirit, just call them, beg them, To be reconciled to you. To be made right with you through the blood of Jesus. He was our substitute. He took our sin and gave us his righteousness. So Lord, we thank you for that. Lord, help us to be great ambassadors for you. Making your appeal to the lost world around us. It's in Jesus' name.
0: Thank you Jared for uh, just delivering a great message on the gospel and what it means to be a people right with God and therefore uh, we can we can be ministers ambassadors to see others become right with him and we can because we're right with God we can be in right relationship with 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 other people um, do want to invite you back for tonight you will not be able to have a better dinner in Enid um, than here so, You know, think about what you're doing for dinner, but really your best option is this place. And then you're going to get to hear a great message and have a great opportunity to to partner in some gospel ministry together. So uh, be back here at 6 o'clock for that. That'll be a good time of fellowship and just being together. Uh, Also, pay attention um, for the last few weeks, uh, even the last month or so. You've seen some information about the the Leadership Summit, the Willow Creek Summit, uh, in your bulletin. Uh, We'll press in on that a little bit more next week, but that's less than two weeks away. So if you want to be a part of that, uh, we've got the opportunity to host it here at our church uh, this time around, uh, making it a whole lot easier than traveling to Oklahoma City. Uh, but look at the details on that. Sign up for that. You can go to the finance office or go online and, and get plugged into that event. Um, and don't let that pass you by or sneak up on you. That's going to be uh, on the 8th and 9th of August. So great to have everybody here this morning. It's a blessing to worship with you. Go out in peace and with the Ministry of Reconciliation. You're dismissed.